you, Chloe. That was beautiful. Just beautiful. Thank you so much. The Lord is good, isn't he? And uh, he understands uh, and loves us in spite of rebel hearts and uh, draws us to himself. Beautiful, beautiful song. Turn with me in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 17. This is called sometimes the high priestly prayer. It's a prayer, the whole chapter is the prayer that Jesus prays just before he enters the garden or just after entering the garden. We're not really told that. And uh, it's one of those really holy places. You feel like you need to take your shoes off to read it. It's called by many theologians the Holy of Holies of the holy or sacred scripture the holy of holies and uh, we're going to look at that I remind you that it's the same evening the evening before the cross he shared all of his intimate teaching and now he prays and you'll see some of those same themes the prayer is almost him praying out what he uh, had taught his uh, disciples in this evening it's probably very early in the morning now and uh, the cross would take place at nine o'clock in the morning so we may just be a, f uh, a few hours from his arrest or even the arrest could come in the next hour uh, and so uh, things are moving along quickly well, look at verse 1 to start with. Keep your Bibles open and we'll try to cover at least half of this chapter. Look at verse 17, chapter 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for the for the wonderful privilege of prayer come before your throne a new and living way through the blood of Christ thank you for the example of our Lord in this prayer teach us all of us teach, no matter where we are in our journey of prayer teach us to pray and, uh, and be more effective in our prayers we pray we love you and ask your blessings upon your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This past week, Karen and I spoke to a friend who's a pastor here in town. And we hadn't spoken to him in a long time. And we were kind of catching up on some things. He's on staff at a large church. He's one of the associate pastors at a large church. And he told us that he and his wife had wanted to... Uh, uh, move maybe more out into the county in which they did uh, and um, so they were looking at houses and uh, there was this one particular house that just really 
they thought was beautiful. It just seemed right for them, you know. And uh, had uh, some land, and it was uh, just what they wanted. But they couldn't afford it. As he would say, on a, on a Baptist pastor's salary, there, it, you have limitations. So he, they couldn't afford it. And, and so they, they looked at other places, too. And, and this house that they really liked went under contract. And, but then after about two months, the contract fell through. And uh, so they checked into it again, but it was still too, too high. And, um, and then it went under contract again. And so uh, w- one day the, the pastor said to his wife, let's, let's go out and just park there at that property. No one's living there now or anything. Let's go out there and park at that property and pray. He said, she being the practical person she was, she said, well, we can pray from here. Why do we need to go out there, you know? The Lord will hear us right here. He said, I don't know why. I just feel led to do so. So they went out and in their car, sat in front of the house and prayed that if the Lord would see fit, he'd work out a way. And, and uh, so then they drove around the neighborhood a little bit in, in join, adjoining neighborhoods, and they saw two people walking, and they, uh, you know, said hello and greeted them. And they, they struck up a conversation, found out this couple that was walking, they were... Christians, faithful Christians, and followers of Christ. And, uh, and, but they knew the house they were looking at. And they began to describe it. And, and they told them that the people who owned the house were f- believers and followers of Christ as well. And, uh, and so then he found out the owner had been going out to the property and walking around the property and praying for just the right person to buy because they had built that home themselves and no one else had ever lived in it, so they were looking for just the right person to buy it. And uh, so uh, the pastor wrote a letter to the owner and just told them how much they had enjoyed seeing the home and so forth. Didn't, didn't really say they couldn't afford it and that kind of thing, but just uh, wrote a, a letter and said they had heard that they were believers and talked about the Lord. But then this owner decided he wanted this pastor to buy the house. And so he then got out of the contract and, and lowered the price and sent word through the real estate person that, uh, that the price was now this amount. And uh, he really wanted the pastor to have it. And the pastor said, this time, the amount of the house was low enough where they could actually purchase it. And so they rejoiced greatly and purchased the house and gave God glory for it. And the Lord's concerned about all of our aspects of life, isn't he? He hears and answers prayer. A week ago from yesterday, I really had it on my heart, heavy on my heart, that all the church should be praying for for Robert Coltrane. He was still in what they call a critical plateau. And uh, so it could go either way still. And uh, so you remember we sent out a text for everybody to pray at 10 o'clock in the morning. And uh, that afternoon the doctor gave word that uh, things were looking better. And by Thursday uh, he was home. And so uh, God answers prayer, doesn't he? He's good to us. And he's concerned about all the physical things as well. We can ask him about healing and houses and 
jobs and paying our bills. I mean, all of those things. He's concerned about all of those things. But in this prayer, we see some deeper elements. Some deeper truths for us that are important in the arena of prayer. And so, we have this great, uh, great verse, great uh, verses, this great chapter in front of us. Not only is it called the Holy of Holies, one, one scholar says it is the greatest chapter in the Bible, end of quote. One of the leaders of the Great Reformation said, There is no voice which has ever been heard, either in heaven or in earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime than the prayer offered by the Son of God himself in John 17. John Knox, the great reformer, Scottish background, when he was dying and during his time of illness that led up to his death, he had someone read this chapter to him every single day. And in the final moments, they were reading it to him as well. Many things have been written about it. One scholar wrote 500 pages just on this one chapter. <laughs> so it's a privilege for us to go into this holy place and hear the Lord Jesus pray. By the way, in the video, we've got to show the video at the end. They did a pretty good job, I think, of touching on this sacred, holy moment. I say that while I'm thinking about it so I won't forget it. So let's, uh, let's think about some things. Let me give you some general thoughts to start with. Look back at your screen for a moment and we see in this prayer some important things. This is what we'll see as we go through. We see the Savior's heart, His relationship to the Father, His love of His followers. We see the Savior's heart in here. We also see His intimacy with the Father, His love for us, and we see just a glimpse of His praying now. You know, Romans 8.34 says Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. So this gives us a little glimpse of his intercession for us. And uh, then we see an example in prayer. We can model our, our prayers after this prayer as well. Then let me give you a quick outline. I don't usually use a lot of outlines, but I think because this is a continuous prayer, maybe an outline would help us a little bit. Jesus prayed, it really this chapter falls into three logical sections, and it's very easy to see. Uh, he prayed concerning his glory and the Father's glory. Some people said this first section he prays for himself, and he does. Nothing wrong with praying for your own needs, but the subject was for his glory to be revealed and the Father's glory to be revealed. And then the second section, he prays for true believers. And then the third section, he prays for future believers. We can write our name in those verses, uh, along with the earlier verses as well, of course, because what he's saying to believers is still true of believers today. Now, a, a little more detail on that. 
he prays for his glory and the Father's glory and in three really sections his glory in the cross his glory in heaven and his glory in the church he prays concerning those three things if you have your Bible just flip over to verse 10 for a second notice that and all mine are thine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them verse 10 and so he glories in the church uh, and then uh, we have this second section which is he prays for true believers he prays for security for unity for joy for deliverance so when we're praying for each other here's some good subjects pray for their safety pray for their unity pray for their joy and pray for deliverance from the evil one well with those things said look now back at your text in verse 1 these things spake Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father Eight times in this one chapter, he's going to address God as Father, his Father. One time, he's going to add the word Holy, Holy Father. Another time, he's going to add the word Righteous, Righteous Father. Eight times, he speaks concerning or speaks to and gives the name uh, Father. The, um, we talked last week about using the term Abba. And uh, if you look back at your screen for a moment, let me show you this verse from Mark 14. Jesus is praying here. Now this prayer takes place after the prayer in John 17. This is the prayer after he gets into Gethsemane and he asks the disciples to stay in this place. He took Peter James and John a little further, let them stay in this place, that he goes a little further yet and prays. And he said, Abba, Father. Now this was a private prayer where 17 is a public prayer. By the way, chapter 17 is the uh, third longest prayer in the Bible. Nehemiah prayed a prayer that was a little longer, and so did King Solomon. And Peter prayed the shortest prayer. He, when he was drowning, he said, Lord, save me. And, uh, but that short prayer got the job done. Uh, and this is then the longest prayer, and by sure the most, uh, the most holy, being prayed by the Son to uh, the Father. So he says, Father, the hour is come. Five times in the book of John leading up to this, Jesus said, or John wrote as a narrative, his hour had not yet come. They couldn't kill him. They couldn't take him. They couldn't even arrest him until his time had come. But now he says the time is come where he will go to the cross and pay our sin debt and shed his blood for us. So he says, the time is come. Glorify thy son thy son that thy son also may glorify thee the word glory appears eight times glory or glorified or glorification appears eight times in this chapter it's a great theme Jesus wants the father to glorify him that he in turn might glorify the father and so we have this 
desire for the Father to be glorified. The old preachers used to say that it is the chief aim of man to glorify God. That's our most important purpose. Also, that's recorded in the uh, Westchester Catechism. To glorify God. So in our prayers, our desire should be to glorify the Father and to glorify the Son. Now, he's asked, the Son's asking to be glorified. He's even going to talk about his glory in heaven in just a moment. But uh, for us, we might, you know, we might see that, replace that idea of glorified with a testimony that pl pleases the Lord. That we might by loving him and obeying him be a testimony in the world and that our testimony might therefore glorify the Father. And then we move to verse 2. He says, as thou, hast given, uh, as thou hast given him, referring to himself, power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So Jesus has the power, the authority to give eternal life to as many as the Father gives him. Now, five times in this one chapter, Jesus is going to use terminology like that. He's going to say, the Father gave him the ones whom he saved and forgave and became believers. Now, some people who uh, are strongly Calvinist would see an eternal uh, decree there that these people were to be saved and it was not up to them but uh, I don't see these passage, that, this passage this way or I don't see that in the Bible at all certainly there is an elect but God knows the beginning from the end he knows everybody that's going to be saved throughout all time and having known that group that group was God's elect his chosen ones uh, doesn't mean they didn't have a choice in it they did when time came they had a choice to receive Christ or not. But it's beautiful. Five times, one scholar, uh, Warren Wearsby, said, they were God the fathers by creation. Now they're God the Son by salvation. So the Father gave the disciples to the Son. We often think of as Jesus being a, a love gift to us. And how true that is. But in this passage, we see that we are a love gift to the, to the Son from the Father. Wow. Like the theme of the Bible school, we are treasured, we are precious to Him. Well, look at verse 3. And this is life eternal that we might know Thee, that they might know Thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. Here's a definition or a description of salvation, eternal life. It means to know. This particular Greek word is enosko. Um, and it means a knowing of personal experience. You know, you might say, uh, uh, somebody mentioned Dale Moody, and you say, oh, yeah, I know Dale Moody. I read his book. Uh, but you don't know him personally. But somebody might say to you, uh, you know, I know, uh, I know Pastor Harley. And you'd say, oh, yeah, I know Pastor Harley, too. Well, you know him by acquaintance. You, you know him. 
That's the word that's used here, the word for knowing someone personally. That's the reason so often in evangelical circles, and rightfully so, we use the term of a personal relationship with Christ. Because it's more than just believing facts. It's a personal relationship with Him. And here, Jesus said it's a personal relationship with the Father and with the Son. We, of course, come to the Father by the Son. And uh, so here's a beautiful description of, uh, of knowing the Father and the Son that results in life eternal. And then, of course, we can come to know Him better and better as time goes on. You might say, well, it doesn't say anything about believing here. No, it doesn't. But uh, 71 times in the book of John, uh, Jesus talks about believing, believing on Him. Uh, this is, of course, it's the, it's the believing that brings us to know the Father and the Son. So it's a beautiful description. Look at verse 4. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, the cross is close. Within 12 hours, Jesus will cry out, it is finished recorded for us in John 19. But here Jesus sees the work as finished already. The work of doing the miracles, the work of, do, of the teaching, the work of, of uh, glorifying the Father, the work of manifesting the Father or showing us what the Father is like. And the cross and the resurrection in the mind of the Lord Jesus is already a, a, a finished thing. And so he says, I finished all the work you've given me to do. Wouldn't it be wonderful when we face our final hours here on earth if we would be able to say, I finished the work you gave me to do. What a glorious thought that is. Then he says in verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self with the glory which I had before, uh, with thee before the world was. Now he's talking about his glory in heaven. He talked about his glory, the cross, in those first verses. Now the time has come. What time? The time to go to the cross and pay the sin debt. Now he talks about in heaven the glory he had before he came down to earth. The glory he had when he spoke the worlds into existence and flung the stars into the corner of the universe. Created mankind and everything here on earth. As the glorious creator, Jesus says to the Father, I'm coming back and glorify me. Give me the glory as I had with you before the world was. And then in verse 6, I have manifest thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Manifest. The word manifest there means to, de to, to de declare or to reveal it, it literally in the Greek means to unfold something. You, you know, if, you, if, if a map is folded up, you can't really see how to get anywhere. You've got to unfold that map. It may take you 
unfold it this way, unfold it that way, and this. Some of, some of you young people don't even know what a map is, do you? <laughs> Just use the GPS. Some of us old folks, we remember maps and folding them. I always enjoyed watching Karen try to fold one back. It was quite a thing. And, uh, but you unfold a little bit here and there, and then finally you get where you can see what you need to see to know where you're going. Jesus unfolded the Father in, the, in his life and in his ministry. And those people, the believers that the Father gave to him, they had believed what Jesus said and declared about the Father. And then look at verse 7. Jesus still, his words in his prayer, now they, have, uh, now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have uh, known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So they believed Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, come out from the Father. And the words that the Father gave the Son, they believed. Now he's describing us as well. Now he's going to particularly refer to us later in this chapter. We won't see that today. But that all applies to us. We've received his word as well. And here in this section, he's praying for uh, true believers. Look at verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, they're yours. Here we see the word world. The word world is used 18 times in this one chapter. It almost seems out of place in this holy place. But he's making contrasts between the believers and the world. And so he's praying for true believers. Uh, and then he says in verse 10, And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Here's the glory he receives from the church, from us as individuals, from the church collectively. So it should be our aim, the chief purpose of our lives should be to glorify God with our lives and with our lips and with all that we do. Glorify uh, the Father and glorify the Son. Verse 11 says, And now I am no more in the world. That is, he will not be in a few more days. But he, of course, sees it as already an accomplished fact. And now I am no longer, no more in the world. But these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those that thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. Here we see security, and we see uh, his pray for unity, oneness in the body of Christ. He says, Holy Father, keep them. Now he's going to say in the next verse that he has kept them and he hadn't lost any except one, and that was Judas. But he was the son of perdition, so therefore he was never saved to start with. Uh, 
Well, let's just pick up that verse. Look at verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in my name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He's the son of, uh, of punishment, the son of, of judgment. So he was never a child of God, as we've talked about uh, before. He said, keep them through thy name. In, in the Bible, a name means the character of a person. Keep them in the character of who you are, Father. Keep them safe. Keep them saved. Don't let any of them be lost. I don't want to lose one. He's going to say later that he wants every one of us to see him in his glory. Well, let's jump over there. We'll get ahead of ourselves. That's okay. Look at verse uh, uh, 24. Father, I will that thou also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou hast loved me before the foundation of the world. So Jesus is saying here earlier in this chapter uh, that he wants them to be kept. He wants them to be secure because one day that he wants all of his followers to see him in his glory. Wow. He wants that for us, doesn't he? He wants us to see him in his glory. And so he prays the Father will keep. We're, we are kept, as Peter would say, we're kept by the power of God. Look at, this, uh, uh, look at this verse on the screen here. Give me my screen back. There you go. Uh, I remind you that Jesus said, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We might say, well, why would Jesus pray for security if it's, if it's already stated there in, in many places throughout the Scripture? Well, the reason it's secure is because it was God's will. Jesus prayed for it. And it's secure because it was the will of God, and Jesus prayed for this, the will of God to be accomplished. And so he, uh, he prays for our security. And we're to be kept. And then you, that last part of verse 11 says that they may be one. One Puritan writer wrote, It makes sense that the wolves scatter the sheep and, the, and that the sheep be worried about the wolves. But it is unnatural for sheep to scatter the other sheep and for sheep to be worried about other sheep. We live in a day where that takes place, don't we? Jesus prays for our unity, for our oneness. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in my name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I unto thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in them. Here's the word joy again. Joy is used quite a few times in this sermon. You may remember Jesus said in John 15, my joy I give unto you, and that your joy might be full. Jesus here uses this term again, my joy, uh, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. 
Jesus wants us to have joy. You know, Jesus is called man of sorrows. And that's woven into songs, old songs, new songs. I think we, one of the songs we sang today used that term to describe the Lord Jesus. It comes out of Isaiah. Man of sorrows. Because he entered into the sorrows of others. And because he himself would be in the sorrow of pain for our sin on the cross. But Jesus was also a man of great joy. Unspeakable joy. And he wants us to have his joy. We may go through sorrows but, and, and difficulties, but he wants us to have his joy. So he prays here for us, for you and me to have joy. In verse 13. Then in verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, neither uh, not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, not to some monastery up on a mountain somewhere, isolated from everybody else, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Notice, it doesn't just say evil, it says the evil. A particular evil. If you've got a newer translation, it will translate that, the evil one. Uh, even the New King James translates it, the evil one. Deliver them from the evil one. Then verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now in verse 15, he prays for deliverance. The evil one is after us, isn't he? Peter says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to de devour your marriage. He wants to devour your joy. He wants to defeat you in your battle with sin. There's a war going on. Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. But it's a war against spiritual beings. That is the... Uh, demonic followers of Satan himself. There is a warfare going on. We need to pray for each other that we would be delivered from the evil one. Jesus prays this for us. Just a couple hours ago, in this biblical scene, Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Now, if you take all four gospel accounts and put those together, it went something like this. Peter said something about his commitment to the Lord. And Jesus said, Peter, Satan hath desired you that he might sift you like wheat. Do you know Satan has desired you? that he might sift you like wheat. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Now that doesn't mean Peter's not going to fail because we know absolutely he did. But Jesus said, when you are converted or when you're restored to fellowship, then teach the brethren. But Peter said... Peter said, Lord, not me. 
he said, Though everybody else forsake thee, not me. I will die for you. Now that was Peter's attitude. It was a, one, it was a good in one part of it. One part's good because he is surrendered to the Lord. And he's declaring that. But the problem was, apparently his confidence was in himself. And of course he did deny the Lord three times. Ended up weeping bitterly by himself. Remembering the words of our Lord and weeping. Because of how he had failed the Lord. I've often wondered what difference it would have made if Peter, instead of saying, Lord, not me. I would die for you, not me. What if Peter had said, oh, Lord Jesus. Please don't let that happen. Deliver me from the evil one. What a difference that attitude would have made. That should be our attitude. Lord, deliver me from the evil one. Only you can do that. What a holy passage we have. Now, the video just goes through verse 16 as that we have just covered. And as I said, I think it, they do a good job of trying to catch the, the sacredness of the moment. So uh, it may have looked something like this. Let's watch the video together. After Jesus finished saying this, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your Son, so that the Son may give glory to you. For you gave him authority over all people, so that he might give eternal life to all those you gave him. And eternal life means to know you, the only true God, and to know Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I have shown your glory on earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. Father, give me glory in your presence now, the same glory I had with you before the world was made. I have made you known to those you gave me out of the world. They belong to you, and you gave them to me. They have obeyed your word, and now they know that everything you gave me comes from you. I gave them the message that you gave me, and they received it. They know that it is true that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those you gave me, for they belong to you. All I have is yours. And all you have is mine. And my glory is shown through them. And now I am coming to you. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Holy Father, keep them safe by the power of your name. The name you gave me. So that they may be one. Just as you and I are one. While I was with them, I kept them safe by the power of your name, the name you gave me. I protected them, and not one of them was lost, except the man who was bound to be lost, so that the scripture might come true. And now I am coming to you, and I say these things in the world, 
so that they might have my joy in their hearts in all its fullness. I gave them your message and the world hated them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. But I do not ask you to take them out of the world. But I do ask you to keep them safe from the evil one. Just as I do not belong to the world, they do not belong to the world. Bow with me, please. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glorious passage of Scripture. It's hard for us to lay hold of it. It is so heavenly. But I pray for your people that are in front of me right now and for myself, for all of us. I pray you would deliver us from the evil one. Maybe some here right now are caught in the snare of Satan. We pray you would deliver them. Grant it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please. We're going to sing a verse or two of invitation. As we do, if you'd like to come for prayer, we invite you to come. Let's sing. for a moment. Just play softly. What beautiful words. Those words describe what I was trying to get across with Peter. Let's sing it to the Lord this morning. I need you every hour. I'm no match for Satan. I'm no match for the problems of life. But I need you every minute, every hour. Let's let it be our prayer. Let's sing it to the Lord now. I need thee. people said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Pastor Jason is coming. 